ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. It is Wednesday, and that means one and only thing on Hard to Paint. That means Ross Jackson and I for our weekly convening of the Dome Patrol, Two Men, No Hair, All Saints. We back at it again. I am a little stubbly today. And I, got I got him on the outside. I got the Sanford coming in. You know what I'm saying? You're not full so. Sharif, though. <laughs> no, not, not full Sharif. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what has made him go to that look. The I don't Sharif. know, man, but you know what? Hey, Rocket, do hey, you. If you own it. <laughs> if you own it, it I'm works. not mad at a man I can't with confidence. own it, though. Yeah, I can't own it. If you got that it, confidence, my wife would not allow me to do that. That was always my no. joke. I told her, I said, when I start going bald, I'm going to just go full um, George Jefferson and just let yeah. it grow out. Yeah. And, ha- and she was like, no, you will not. Yeah, I got I got all that George Jefferson pattern, man, all around here. And then the one still healthy, like I'm fighting to survive line right here, like the little equator right here. Yeah, man, I can go full Sanford. I mean, I'm sorry, I can go full Jefferson. I just remember the day when I started realizing it, you know, when the barber has to start spraying in. Yep. And man, it was a minute before he was done. (laughs) And I was like, no. I, I remember I remember I was doing I was doing a show and the hairdresser in the show was was doing they had to do something to my hair for it and uh he just very casually was like I was 20 20 21 and he very casually was like you're going light up here <laughs> <laughs> and I was like you can't say that casually like that's not no you can't just give me the avocado oil like don't like please rush rush <laughs> fix it don't just casually Snack. tell Let's, me right? no this is an this emergency, is an emergency. Right. yeah exactly right absolutely because oh. it shook my world it shook my world because then you yeah. start only paying attention to that area in every picture oh, and every time you stand you're like can you see it? And right. All of a sudden, like for the first time in your life, you have a side, right? To where you're mm-hmm. like, all right, this one's a little bit, what's going on? These, look at these edges connecting over here. Don't pay attention to this. Don't pay attention to And there's to no that. combing it over. There's no, <laughs> right. you can't no, no. it. It's nothing right. that it just, it's going to be patchy. Yep. And that ain't cool. <laughs> it's a hard thing to pull off. I mean, when James Evans had it for a while on Good Times, remember yeah. just like, random hairs just all up there. Yep. And um, with Jamie Foxx, when he did Bundini Brown, <laughs> and he had that line right here, it was a big patch. It was like, oh yeah. But yeah, I wasn't going to go for that. Uh-uh. That's old black man look. Old right. black man. Yeah, I'm not, not there yet. No, because that's when you can just tell anybody anything and they ain't going to talk back to you. <laughs> you get to that certain age. I do look forward to those days. I can check my mail how I want to check my mail. I can say what I want to say. Like, you go out there, yeah, I'm out, I'm your out here and, and your white tee. Right. And slides. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <right>. hey, man. <laughs> like, what? Can't tell me. Right. Can't tell me. This is my house. <laughs> can't tell me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're supposed to be talking football, though. Ah, yeah. You know what? We're people, too, man. Ain't nothing wrong right. with that. <laughs> so... Neither one of us could have foreseen 38 to three. No one could have mm-hmm. foreseen 38 to three. As mm-hmm. Even the most optimistic Saints fan, 38 to three was not on the radar. Um, let's just start right there. Man. And just the, the level 
of performance that it, that it took to do, to do that on the road um, against a hot team um, that had and really basically forced them to do everything that they had not done in right. the first five the last five six weeks. Man, you know, uh, I had to do I think it was like three or four interviews right after that game on Sunday night. And by then, like, you know, you don't have the time to go through the film. You don't really have, you just kind of have to process what you just saw and then give initial responses to it, but try to do so constructive, right? You're not trying to be like too demeaning of a team. You're not trying to be too high on a team either. And so after this game, the only word that I continued to use was uh, baffled. That's the only way I could describe how I felt. I was absolutely baffled about this game. And it took so much for the Saints to get to that level of performance. It didn't just happen overnight. Now, some of it has to do with the fact that this is still, these are still two divisional teams that are familiar, right? That the Saints are familiar with. The Saints are familiar with that offensive line. They're familiar with that offense, right? They're familiar with that defense. The defense had very little turnover from last year to this year. The offense, more turnover, but at some key spots at receiver as well as at the offensive line, still very familiar. Where you saw struggles week one, Cam Jordan up against Tristan Wirth. Tristan Wirth held his own, yes. the rookie of the first game. Not so much the second game. And that's just, that's just progression, right? That's Cam Jordan having played against him and knowing, all right, this is what he did against having me last time. There's tape to watch, right? He had literally tape of himself to watch going up against Tristan Wirth and then seven additional games, eight additional games of film to also watch and be ready. Um, you had that. You had Marcus Davenport a part of this defensive line. And since week five, the Saints have put up the highest pressure rate essentially since his return. And so he has been, or at least aided by his return, he has been outstanding, an outstanding addition for this team. Trey Hendrickson continues to profit off of opportunities that are created for him and opportunities that he's creating himself. He's a fantastic finisher at the quarterback. So you saw all of these elements come together. We've talked many times about the relationship between the pass rush and the corner uh, and the secondary. It was there, right? We saw Rob Gronkowski go streaking right up the middle of the field, wide open on a fourth down pass that would have probably gotten him into the end zone had that ball been on time and in place, but the ball was not on time and in place. Why? Because of the pass rush. rush. Right. So we saw all of these elements come together and that's what it took. And then over on the offensive side for the saints, Michael Thomas coming back, helped this defense just look, I'm sorry, excuse me, this offense look a lot more smooth. Same thing with Emmanuel Sanders. It was just smoother. The execution was there. The defense had to pay attention to a lot of weapons on this field. And so all of a sudden, when you're scoring touchdowns with Traquan Smith, Taysom Hill, Josh Hill, and Adam Troutman, as opposed to, you know, Alvin Kamara did get into the end zone, but it's not, you know, led by Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray or Emmanuel Sanders and, and Michael Thomas. That's just what this offense has the ability to do. We've seen Drew Brees do that several times to where the main weapons we know are out there, but they're going to get a lot of attention. So let me go to the other guys, right? that's that's essentially what they were able to do. The offensive line played well. They did some really nice movement with Cesar Ruiz and Nick Easton to help with some pass sets because Cesar Ruiz just finished up a week going up against Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and then had to go up against JPP and uh, and, and Golden as well as uh, uh, and Sue, of course. And so it makes a lot of sense to see that. So, I mean, you look at all of the the ingredients that went into this recipe and all of them – all of them were present. I mean, like really the only negative that you could look at is maybe that the saints 
run game wasn't successful consistently, but they were also going up against a very good run defense. And they had a very different game plan in the run game once they were up 31 to zero at halftime. And then you also saw, you know, Jared Cook have a little bit of a, a not so great day just with the fumble right. in the red zone, a drop, missed the block. But outside of that, he still had his usual game. So, I mean, when you talk about what all went into this win, I think the only answer I could really give is like, everything because and, the saints really hit on all cylinders here but the foundation of it all is the defensive line play yeah 100%. that's that's everything about this game um and let's let's kind of emphasize that more because again that's something you've been studying all season mm-hmm. and and we know that tom brady and we the one thing we knew for yep. certain last week was if the saints got pressure on brady early and you make him feel like there are people around his feet he doesn't like that and it changes his tempo. Everything gets a little bit faster for him when, you know, he starts to feel that pressure. And they were applying it from the first snap of the game. Absolutely. They were able to get off the ball. Yeah. Immediately you saw the very first snap of the game, Cam Jordan just fly off the line at Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs was not ready for Cam Jordan to come <laughs> off like that. And then we saw some great get off from a couple of these other players as well. David on Yamada played a fantastic a game. game. He leads the team right now in quarterback and hits on the quarterback, not necessarily sacks, but just quarterback hits. Trey Hendrickson second there. Trey Hendrickson had a lot of moments where he was just off of the snap count in the face of Donovan Smith and coming through. And he has done a very good job. One of the things that he's improved in is his pass rushing moves, stringing them together all right, I do this and then I can do this. Like he has a plan he has a counter. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's something that, you know, that's key for a passer. It's something we're still watching Marcus uh, Davenport develop. He's He has developed it and he is still developing it, but we're watching it actively happen as these two pass rushers continue to improve. Um, you know, you look at the rotation as well on the interior defensive line. We saw Shy Tuttle, Malcolm Roach, Malcolm Brown, and um, of course, David Onyemata all there, but we also saw Trey Hendrickson play inside. We saw Cam Jordan play inside. We saw Trey Hendrickson play inside. So they they continue to mix in and rotate. I haven't gotten to go through and look at all of the uh, the the formations and everything that they use. Or not formations, combinations that they use in terms of players and, and, and positions. But they have continued to do this, and it wears down these offensive lines. Tristan Wirfs doesn't have NFL stamina yet. Donovan yeah. Smith does not have NFL stamina. Paul Haig, who had to play in the middle in place of the the the, the Bucks' best offensive lineman, Ali Marpet, who is out for this game, he didn't have the stamina. It's tough. It's tough to have the stamina to go out there. Even though Tampa only played, what, like 46 offensive snaps? In this one, that's just how fresh this Saints defense was. And the other thing in terms of pressure that we have to think about to go away from the defensive line for just a sec, but still talk about pressure, is that pressure is applied in two ways. It's applied by the defensive line literally getting in your face, and it's also applied by the secondary making that mental clock tick. Because Mm -hmm. for every quarterback, they know I have about this long. I have held on to this ball for a long time. Somebody is coming. (laughs) Somebody is on their way. And so when the the Saints secondary did a very good job at taking away first, second reads, it forced Tom Brady deep into that mental count, which we know he does not fare well with because it's just another form of pressure. Both of those elements were there consistently throughout Sunday's game. And once you get that lead, and and I want to talk about this because – the Saints forced those turnovers. Mm-hmm. Each one was yep. a direct function of something else. There were no unforced errors in that regard. Like you could say that Tom Brady's interception in game in week one, the first one right. down the field. Okay. You could say it's just a, that's a misread and, a, and that's on the quarterback. 
in these situations, they were created by the Saints. Particularly, you look at the first, where you have intense collapse of that pocket. Yeah. I mean, you've literally pushed the line four yards back. And the awareness to A, get your hands up. Yep. B, once that ball is tipped, again, everybody's looking for the ball. No yeah. one is, is looking down. They're all looking for the ball. And so even after the tip, you get a tip of the pass, you get a second tip, but your lineman is ready there to grab it. And I think that that's something against a Brady that you know if pressured, he's not going downfield. Right. So the ball is coming out at a relatively normal level. Yep. You got the pressure, get your hands up. That's something that I think that they were that Dennis Allen emphasized because that's just not what the Saints had done a lot of this season. Yeah, and that used to be something that was huge with this defensive line was batted passes. Remember just a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you know, Cam Jordan created the triple-double with battle pat, batted passes, tackles for a loss and sacks in the same yep. season, going double digits there. And so we know that it's always been an emphasis, but you're right. This season, we haven't seen enough. We haven't seen a ton of it. We haven't seen enough takeaways from this Saints defense at all. And then all of a sudden we see this game with three. And so you have that one, which I thought just really goes to show you again, the value of Marcus Davenport. Marcus Davenport is six foot seven. He's a big dude. So he doesn't have to jump. He just sticks his hand up and he's got 10 feet on whoever he's, you know, whoever he's going up against. And so, or nine feet, whatever. But, you know, you look at what it is that, you know, led to that in terms of the the communication amongst the defensive line and then the discipline of the defensive line. If you can't get to the quarterback, get your hands up. And you know that they're going to go to the flats. You know, Tom Brady's going to go there, especially if it's deep into that snap count, or or, sorry, that snap clock. um, You're going to see him do that. And we saw that a lot. And Malcolm Jenkins was just fantastic at taking away or at least making tackles on those running backs in, in the flats. There was a point where I tweeted out that he made like three of those stops so far this game. And once I tweeted that out, he made a fourth, like he was all over that part. And his role is becoming more defined in this defense in a way that I think is really interesting. It's costing Alex Anzalone some playing time, but it's been really, really good for Malcolm Jenkins so far. So, I, I mean, you look at that when you look at the interception down the field, from Marcus Williams as well. That one was a bit out of a, to the boundary. That's not Brady right. strong suit. Right. Exactly. And it, lack of ball velocity for Tom Brady has been a big issue. It's why he has three interceptions on out routes already this season, including two pick sixes there because he doesn't, the out route is an NFL throw that you have to make with velocity. Like you have to put that on somebody that has to have some heat behind it. That's a fastball throw. He doesn't have that. That's why he's gotten picked off three times on those routes. You look at this route where he sailed a duck down the field, trying to get to Antonio Brown. And there was a bit of a miscommunication, but if he had some, you know, but if he had that ball velocity, that ball falls harmlessly incomplete because he just overthrows his receiver. But instead Marcus Williams, who is rangy as all hell was able to get over there and make that pick. Then you saw the other pick from Malcolm Jenkins as well. Like it's just, you know, they're, they're, this is a big confidence building game, I think. For <laughs> this is a big confidence building game, I think, for uh, for the Saints on both sides of the ball. Now it's just about maintaining it and, and doing it consistently. Right, and, and I, I, I want to just talk about the field position too. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. these the Saints started their drives. This you know, thirty at their own thirty-five, their own thirty-four, the Tampa thirty-five midfield, mm-hmm. the Tampa twenty-seven and they're on 38. It's when you get that kind of field position, you give that to the saints. Sean Payton has the whole thing open to him. And again, this was really kind of death by a thousand cuts. Drew Brees throws 22 passes. I mean, completes 22 out of his 20, 26. Mm -hmm. And 
it's 230 yards. So it's not like they're going and getting these long plays, but they were just, okay, there's the soft spot. There's the soft spot. And guys like Emmanuel Sanders or an Adam Troutman, when he's streaking down and finds that hole for his touchdown, the saints took advantage of the gaps um, so well. Yeah, absolutely. I got the uh, average starting field position for you in this game that I think is really interesting. Overall, throughout the entire game, the Saints' average starting field position was their own 37, and then Tampa Bay's was their own 27, which feels a lot like week one, right? We talked about the the Saints winning the field goal – I'm sorry, field position battle week one as well. But the first half tells a big-time story because, of course, Saints dropped 31 points in the first half. Um, They ended up – with their average starting field position in the first half being their own 44 yard line while Tampa Bay's was their own 20. So worse than a touchback every possession. So this is what we've seen the saints do all season and they continued it here and they know that this works when it comes to a Tom Brady offense, because now it has worked twice. And what they're doing is that like, they're not trying to kick the ball out of the end zone on the kick returns. Will Lutz is putting the ball down one yard within the end zone, or he's dropping them down like lame duck style, right ahead of the, the goal line and making the bucks do something with it. You know what I mean? He's making, he's forcing them into returns. Thomas Morstead playing well. Um, the coverage playing well, even without Justin Hardy, we saw Marquez Calloway get down the field mm-hmm. to make a big stop and Adam Troutman get down to make big stops on special teams. Like everybody loves playing special teams for the saints. They love it because first of all, they make it exciting. They make it fun. And they are a vital part of this team's wins because of the way that they're able to do that. And then of course, Deont- Deontay Harris helps a lot. Uh, he had that big 40 yard catch and run over in the offensive side as well. That was just remarkably impressive. Um, yeah, I think that that's a huge element of this game. Again, the the hidden yardage. And then, of course, they were aided by, again, the turnovers as well. Yes. Yeah, it just it, – it led to um, them not having to force anything. They didn't have to force feed Mike Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, people say, well, you know, he wasn't that effective coming back. That wasn't the point. Like, no. his effectiveness is just stepping on the field. <laughs> right. and, and all of a sudden, there's more gravity towards him that opened things up for – 11 different guys in the first quarter to catch passes. It's just, that's, that's, we talked about this too. Mike Thomas is never supposed to catch 150 passes. No, no. It's not supposed to happen. Right. So if Emmanuel Sanders is emerging, if Adam Troutman can catch a couple of balls a game, if Jared Cook is still getting three or four catches a game, if Albert Kamara is getting six catches out of the backfield, there aren't 13 catches out there for Mike Thomas. Right. It's about how they utilize him. And I think that's what Sean Payton is going to do going forward is maximize those catches rather than be dependent on them as they were at times last year. Yeah, I, I think, and that's, that's exactly right. I mean, if you give me the option between Michael Thomas having 13 catches and then the next highest receiver having two or three versus four receivers having three, four, five receptions and then another what six or so having, you know, one or two, I'll take the latter. I'll take that because you're spreading the ball around. You have many more options. You're, 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 you're diversifying the offense. You're diversifying your attack. You're confusing the defense. You're playing the decoy game. Like that means that the offense is running efficiently. The Saints completed past the 12 different receivers total in this game, including one uh, Jameis Winston completion to Michael Burton that had a lot of sauce on it for like a little two yard air pass. Uh, but you know, that, that, that's uh, ties a modern day NFL record with eight teams completing to that many that many teams, including the Packers a few years ago, but 
that's what you want to see from this off. That's what we used to credit this offense for. You know I mean, yeah. even when Drew Brees was pushing the ball down the field and throwing those 40 plus yard air pass, your air yard passes, which I made a big argument just a couple of days ago about how much air yards don't matter to teams that are winning. This, this, this is what we used to credit Drew Brees on was how much he spread the ball around and how everybody was a player in this offense. And now with all of these other pieces coming back, it's going to open up those opportunities for other players. I don't mind seeing the saints not rely on Michael Thomas. I don't mind seeing the saints not rely on Alvin Kamara, who they didn't have to rely on in this game either. He got a little bit of a rest in this game. You know what I mean? Like I'll take all of that for the saints offense. Yeah. The stats essentially come down to, it's about the money for the stats. It's about the bonuses. And and if it, it, when you have this kind of offense, you got to let a lot of people eat and it keeps yeah. them engaged as well. That's the whole thing too, is guys don't want to go two and three games with no touches. Just give me one, just give me right. one, find something for me just that's in the package and, and just hit me with something. And when breeze does that, yeah, it's, it's impossible for the defense to adjust. I also wanted to see your thoughts on Tampa's defensive play calling because it's, it seemed that they were not prepared Especially, and I'm not I'm not taking anything away from Taysom, Taysom's performance, mm-hmm. but there were times when I, I I mean I'm sitting next to my wife and I'm sure you were watching the game. And you're like, he's going to run this one. Like you can see, <laughs> like right. this is a run, right. and Tampa wouldn't be ready for it. There'd be nobody over the top of him. It just and you would see it that the hole would open wide and there'd be nobody on the other side. I just didn't understand their play calling in certain situations. This has been a season long plan by Sean Payton and that has been remarkable to watch the way that he's been utilizing Taysom Hill the first let's say seven games no, let's say six games of the season versus the way that he's used them used him the last couple of games of the season right so I guess it's five and two but whatever so you know it, he has set up this expectation of what's going to happen with Taysom Hill at quarterback then all of a sudden he comes out there and he rips two passes down the field and then all of a sudden, the defense has no choice but to respond to that and keep them keep keep it honest. This is something that the Saints do really, really well. They develop tendencies, and then halfway through the season, they just break all of the tendencies and establish new ones that they can break in a couple more games. So now you're going to see all of these tendency breakers start to show up so that when they go into playoff football, there's not as much film based upon here's what the saints did over the last couple of weeks because their approach will be different. And so now we're getting to that varied part of the part of the defense or excuse me, part of the offensive tag. And so uh, I think that for Tampa Bay, I think they expected to be able to, in some situations, man up and be able to beat these receivers, but then they got taken advantage of because you saw them. I mean, the first touchdown of the game to Traquan Smith, you had four defenders on the right side of the hash from the offensive perspective. Three of them collapsed down to all after Alvin Kamara because it was a tendency breaker. That trip's right formation is where they love to go to Alvin Kamara. It's where they usually run that wheel route for him right. and line mm-hmm. him up on the inside. But it said they motioned him to the outside of it. So it's like, are they going to run the wheel route with Taysom Hill or are they going to do something? And essentially they started to reverse pattern to where they sent Traquan Smith and Taysom Hill down the field and then had Alvin Kamara come under for a screen. Everybody, Sean Murphy, Bunting, Levante, David, Jamel Dean, they all bit down on that. Traquan Smith, wide open, where a quarters where one of those zones, Jamel Dean's zone was supposed to be wide open back. So it was all about tendency breakers. And the Saints did this really, really well all throughout the game. And then there were other times to where it didn't matter if they were playing zone or they were playing man. Some of it also just came down to 
players running the right route mm-hmm. and doing so really, really well. Uh, Adam Troutman's route on his touchdown was like an old Texas route. It was beautiful. From, the, from that F position. Fantastic. Yeah, incredibly executed. And, and fantastic ball placement, pinpoint ball placement. There was one place to throw that ball, and Drew Brees found it. You saw um, uh, uh, Emmanuel Sanders on the outside get manned up by, again, Jamel Dean ends up one-on-one with Emmanuel. Like, if you look at it, it's literally just Jamel Dean and Emmanuel Sanders on that side of the field. And that is a lot of pressure for a defensive back. When you're going up against a pro like Emmanuel Sanders and you're in your, what, second, third year in the NFL, it doesn't matter how well you play. Especially when you're as aggressive as Jamel Dean, Emmanuel Sanders runs that route to the inside and then cuts back to the outside. He created over seven yards of separation on one cut. And he stumbled. By himself. And he, and he fell stumbled. down. <laughs> it, was, it, it was incredible. So, I mean, it, it was a lot of... It was a lot of individual mismatches being created and taken advantage of by the Saints offense and a lack of preparedness by the, by the Tampa Bay defense because they prepared for something that the Saints didn't throw at them, if that makes sense. Yeah, and they, they overplayed so much. Like when you, saw, when you saw Jason Pierre-Paul pound in the ground, I think that's him. He, it's not about they got beat. It's about he knew. Yep. He knew what they were supposed to be doing on that play. And they didn't do it. They did not maintain mm-hmm. discipline. discipline. They did right. not, you know, get to their their lanes. And he, that was his frustration with his own team. That wasn't about the Saints. That was about guys. We're we're better. We're supposed to be better than this. At the yep. very least, we're supposed to be. Yep. And I, you know, we had our questions about that defense. That that there were things that that Saints could exploit. And I think Sean Payton did a like you said a fantastic job of targeting those weaknesses. Um, and then playing Tampa's aggressiveness against them. Like on the play when Taysom and Drew is lined out left, and you see Drew step back as if he's, they're going to throw it out to him for a secondary pass. And I'm thinking there's no way he throws that pass to Drew. Because <laughs> 100% no. <laughs> you cannot – because the DB is there. Right. You know, and he would – he who doesn't want a free shot oh, on Drew Brees? Right. So he's waiting for that ball to come. So I'm like – why did the defense then everybody comes and starts either going inside, which Taysom right. has already come to the outside, and the DBs are going backwards. And I was right. just like, that it made no sense to me. Yeah. And I'll tell you something else that helped set that play, because that was the that was the other big run up the left side mm-hmm. for Taysom, when right? When he the tucked hurdle. the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um <laughs> hurdles stress me out, man. But uh it wasn't come, pretty because he's still legs not, is still, like, like still running. <laughs> It was like that. Oh, he was in a music video. Uh, but, you know, you look at the, the play earlier in the game where he completed that a, a 20-something yard pass down the seam to, uh, or, or I guess over the middle, to the over route to Jared Cook. It was essentially the same route concept that they ran in that play. That's why all those defensive backs were, had their backs turned. Because now, oh, Taysom threw on this route before. So now you have to be honest. Like, you have to play honest. And so even creating and breaking tendencies, like he – Sean Payton did a great job. He he broke the tendency by throwing the pass, mm-hmm. and then he created a new tendency by play, by throwing the pass, and then broke that tendency when Taysom Hill has the ability to say, "All right, they're not there that time. This time, everybody's looking elsewhere. I'm not throwing the ball to Drew Brees. Coach told me not to do that, so I'm running." <laughs> and then he was do able you to do think that. he's making that throw on the run too? Because no. <laughs> he breaks as soon as he gets the right. step. He's going, and it's like there's no way he's either going to stop and throw that ball because if he stops. Everybody knows. Yeah. And if yeah. he throws it on the run, it ain't going to be accurate. Right. And everybody's just clearing out. 
So the only other person for Drew to throw that ball back to would have been going back to Taysom Hill. It would have been like a two-on-one in a basketball situation, yeah, like a fast race situation. You know, that's way too complicated. <laughs> right, just just go. And so it, it was interesting to see. But I, I kind of I kind of side with Nick Underhill on this one a bit. They interviewed Taysom Hill about that, and uh, uh, it was Cat Terrell who asked, "Are you you know did you ever think about throwing that ball to Drew Brees?" And then Taysom Hill said, "Well, Coach told me that under no circumstances am I to throw that ball to Drew Brees." And now. I'm waiting for them to throw that ball to Jabriz. Like eventually they're going to come up with something. It ain't going to be that way. Does get the set. It won't no, be it's on not that, that motion. It's not on that one. You There'll be I mean? another receiver be on that side to shield the block. Drew. Yeah, exactly. You can't like, just have yeah. him one-on-one on that corner. He's not that guy. No, no, no. It'll be a sack on the outside or something like that, that Drew Brees kind of bubbles under and then mm-hmm. he throws that secondary pass. But I'm, I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to see what happens. Between that and Alvin Kamara potentially throwing a pass at some point this season, I'm all for it at this yeah, point. Why not? Remember, Dalton <laughs> Hill used to chuck it, man. <laughs> Walter Payton used to chuck it. Yeah, Walter Payton used to chuck. I mean, Walter had an arm. I thought Walter threw fifty yard strikes. Yeah, he was out there throwing passes like Joe Flacco was Monday night, where they just send that all out blitz, and then he's just like, "Chuck it, it's fine. Somebody's gonna come up with it." (laughs) Is Joe Flacco gonna be the new Vinny Testaverde? Oh man, (laughs) oh he's in the right jersey for it. I'll tell you that they got you know very similar kind of stature, slow guys with the big windups. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, but the Jets still suck. Um, <laughs> let's give Adam Adam Troutman his his flowers, man. Yeah, that, man. That's that was an important game for him, especially with Jared Cook struggling um, mm. to have that confidence in him and to to throw that ball. Like I said, the placement had to be perfect. The catch had to be perfect. The route was perfect. Oh, um, that's the thing he was brought here to do. He's supposed to be an elite pass catcher, and he showed that that's the best flash we've seen so far of that ability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the, the goal for, for Adam Troutman coming into the season was to get him up to speed as a blocker and then get him folded in as a receiver. We, we know he can catch the ball. We've seen it, right? 916 yards, 14 touchdowns at Dayton. We know he can do that. Um, the question was, can he do it at the NFL level? Yes. Uh, but also, can he play as a true Y? Can he be a guy that can, you know, chip off the edge and then go and run his route? Can he be a guy that can stay in and block as an extra pass blocker or an extra run blocker? That, that's, that was the focus. That latter part has been the focus for him so far this season. We saw him catch a couple passes here and there. But now I'll be interested to see if his role continues to expand in his rookie season. I wouldn't be mad if it didn't. If I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I wouldn't be mad if it didn't, right? If they just continued to go to him every now and then in those red zone situations where he is valuable as somebody that is his stature, that has his build, and that has his leaping ability. Yeah, keep a successful package. Right. But you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to rely on him. They have right. enough that they don't have to rely on him. Right. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, well, can't wait to see Adam Troutman get down there on a 50 yard scene pass. Like, I don't think it's that. I think it's the high percentage moments that just continue to build his that continue to build his profile, continue to build his his confidence and let him know, here's what we see in you. Yeah. You know what I mean? From the Saints perspective. And then they can get some of that other stuff folded in with whomever will be the quarterback next season. Right. So I think that that's what you're looking forward to easing him in much like they did Jimmy Graham, his rookie season. Mm-hmm. But, can, but what they've done with Adam Troutman is that they've gone a route that they couldn't go with Jimmy Graham in which they've created a multiple level tight end. They've created somebody that can block. They've created somebody that can get out there that can lead down the field. They've created a special team where they've created, you know, and so they fostered all of this other ability in him 
knowing that eventually they'll get him wound into the receiving game. And especially with Jared Cook not being on contract next year, he has the voidable year that they could activate. And, you know, the, the, essentially what they did with Norris Jenkins, which is essentially just an extension, they could do that with him. But with the salary cap situation being what it is for every team across the NFL next year, I don't know that they do that, especially when you know you've already got this guy on contract and then you can build off of that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit more of that presence mm-hmm. in the passing game this season, but still continuing to focus on developing him as a blocker. And no shade to Jimmy Graham, but Adam Troutman is a football player. And right. That's what he's been. Yeah. So for yeah, him point. blocking, you know, that's, he's always been practicing that. That's what he mm-hmm. knew he was, you know, you come up at Dayton, you're not just out there, you know, throwing, you know, catching balls and, and flinging it around all the time. Whereas Jimmy Graham, his responsibility from day one was just catch the ball. Catch pass, yeah. Just catch the Play ball. above the rim. Like, Nobody asked know, him they, to block. Nobody asked yeah. him to do those things. And, hey, he was still splitting time with basketball and all those things. He wouldn't go to – that just wasn't – and we've seen it now. It's just not who he is physically. And that's fine. Yeah. That's, but Troutman, I think, you know, that background, I think, helps him in that regard. He's not a guy being converted. You know, you want that more of a – he may – find that nasty streak that a George Kittle has or a Travis Kelsey. And if you get that out of your tight end where you can catch and be that effective in the blocking game as well, man, then the, then the saints have something right there. Yeah. yeah. And the potential's there. Yeah. The potential is absolutely I, there. I very much have the feeling that if you ask Adam Troutman, if he would rather catch, you know, be catching passes or pancaking defenders, he'll tell you that pancaking defenders is probably what he wants to be doing. You know what I mean? That that's where he gets the greatest gratification. That's what most of these true why attitudes are. So it's like, I would, I just want to man up and beat somebody. You know what I mean? And you can do that in the blocking game. You can do that in the passing game too. Don't get me wrong, but you get to do a lot more of it in the blocking game for sure. And it'll keep you on the field, man. It'll keep you on yeah, the field. Yeah, hundred percent. It's that 100%. simple. And, and as the Saints transition, there's going to be more running. It's going, it just, mm-hmm. it has to be. Um, and we saw 37 carries and a lot of that's because they were going, like I said, second half, you're maintaining right. the lead. They didn't have average four yards a carry for the game, yeah. but that wasn't important. 37 mm-hmm. was the important number. Yes, exactly. It was ball security and, and running the ball, running, chewing the clock, ball security. That's what that ended up becoming as a part of the game plan. And as we talk about them transitioning, you know, continuing to run the ball, that means that the, the snaps are there for Troutman is the other part of it. Because you're going to see Josh Hill, who whoops, who is not designated as a tight end on the uh, depth chart any longer. He's designated as an F position. So he's somebody that will play both fullback and tight end, essentially. Um, and so the snaps are there for Troutman because Jared Cook, not as successful a blocker as a tight end. So the snaps are going to be there for him. And, and this is what the Saints wanted to do. They wanted to be successful passing out of two tight end sets, whether there's two running backs or one running back on the field. And having those guys in to be effective blockers helps to make the passing portion of that happen. Let's quickly hit on the petty of letting t- uh, Jameis get in and get his throw. <laughs> like, he didn't have to let him throw. He didn't, no. have, to, he didn't have to put him in. He didn't but have to you be knew in he there. was going to. You knew right. he was going to. A hundred percent. It was wild. I, I, was, I was surprised by it as early as we saw it. But then it made sense because, you know, they were able to convert a first down the pass to, to Michael Burton, which, again, had so much mustard on it for like a three-yard You know he was jacked, for though. When oh, they said James, come on. <laughs> he was probably he so was excited. I wish, I wish we had that moment on video, you know what I mean, of him being told, all right, James, you're going in because I want to see his face. But, and you know they waited. Like, you know they didn't tell him, oh, next yeah. series, you're up. No, right. they waited till like, the ball – you know, the – the, the, the unit's about to go out there and they're like, Jameis, 
Right. You know, they, you know that's Sean Payton. Because Jim's like, I'm going in? Oh, yeah. yes. Tonight? Uh, All right. This is it. I, yeah. And and I loved it. Like, I thought that it was it was a great – like, they could have just put Taysom – like, Taysom had already taken some snaps ahead of that drive, the drive before. And so I thought maybe they were – All right, well, they're just going to roll with Taysom for the rest of this because they're trying to hide Jameis Winston from – everybody right now but then they got him out there and what i loved seeing was the discipline of Jameis, where they put Jameis out there and they said you're not throwing the ball for the most part you're not mm-hmm. throwing the ball you're handing the ball off and so that was just one of those things that was about like here's you're we're gonna put you out there but here's here's what your role is here and he played that role and then when they had to convert on that third down he had the little nice dump off to michael burton uh and everything and so you saw him you know take the check down which really that's what the play was designed to be but you know they exercised that in him uh, i loved seeing it man I, I really did and of course just Jameis going in against tampa you, look there's no better TV than that. Like, especially when the team's already winning 38 to three, like that's just fantastic television. Um, and so I, I enjoyed it, man. I, and I thought it was great. Like I thought that that probably meant a lot to Jameis to be able to go out there against his former team and, and, and kind of do that and, and run that offense, make those calls in the huddle. Like there's no, like you can, you can practice that in practice. Don't get me wrong, but like calling those plays in the huddle in game, in a situation that is, a little bit more stress-free because you know you ain't losing that game, right? You're not making calls that are going to cost anybody the game at this point, but still, there's still nothing that substitutes that, right? And those are your snaps. Right. I mean, like, he may not – you don't know how many you're getting this season. Right. So, you, with a Sean Payton, that's always the thing he's looking for. You treat Mm -hmm. the last three snaps of this game or whatever, you know, whatever it is, as the same as the first three. With that same level of intensity is what I want as far as execution. It may not be intent of the play. Like you said, it's right. let's grind the clock, but the execution had better be there. The command yep. had better be there. Do you know your verbiage? Do you get him out of that huddle quickly? Is yep. everybody under control? How's the snap count? And all of those things, you know, that Sean Payton is constantly evaluating. Yeah, absolutely. Like he goes out there, Jameis goes out there, he calls the play. They break the huddle. He gets out there. His cadence is clean. He's in command of the offense. The handoff, the mesh point is clean. Like there's so much to still learn about Jameis just in those little snaps, just in those few snaps. And obviously like Sean Payton is going to, is going to look at that because they have a big decision to make. I mean, you're assuming this is Drew Brees' last year, which I think is only fortified by the fact that Teron Armstead literally picked him up to see his touchdown at one point. Um, and, And the Saints have a big decision to make about Taysom Hill and, and Jameis Winston. And, you know, they recently moved on this week from Tommy Stevens. They let him go as and Tommy Stevens. We were kind of looking at it as like, okay, well, Jameis becomes the starter. Then, you know, they've got Taysom Hill, but if Taysom becomes a starter, maybe they use Tommy Stevens in that role. And so I'm projecting very far, but knowing that they've now released Tommy Stevens, these are all things that kind of are relative are related to the quarterback decision for next year. So you're going to evaluate every single opportunity that you get. I think the the one thing is you still want to see, you know, this is like you throw out in the Olympics, you throw out the highest score, you throw out the lowest score. Yep. There's, it's not a 35 point difference between the saints and the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Um, my conclusion is yes, the saints are one of the top five teams in the NFL, but I would not, I'm still not willing to jump to the conclusion that they are a Super Bowl favorite at this point. No, not favorite, not favorite. They are a Super Bowl contender, much like several teams in the NFL are right now. I still think that the best team in the NFC is the Green Bay Packers at this moment. Their run defense is atrocious, but their passing defense is solid and steady. And in today's game, that's what matters. That's the important part. 
Um, and so I, I, I still look at the Saints as, you know, look, they're number one seed in the NFC right now, but it doesn't, you know, if it was a, if it was only a two-way tie between them and the Green Bay Packers, the Packers have the head-to-head win because it's a three-way tie, head-to-heads get thrown out. So it, it worked out in the Saints' favor. But uh, I still look at Green Bay as the top team in this in this conference. I still look at Seattle as right there with New Orleans. And I still look at Tampa Bay as a very good football team. Like, they're still a damn good football team. But we have to keep in mind that this was a division win that this is a team that the Saints are very familiar with. And in all fairness, is a team that Tampa Bay, the Saints are a team that Tampa Bay is very familiar with, of course. But then you also look at, you know, the way, but so you can give the Saints credit, but you kind of do, you know, temper it back a little bit in terms of the expectation because there's still the question of sustainability moving forward. Mm -hmm. Can the Saints sustain this defensive performance in particular? The offensive performance we know, we knew was going to show up. You're going to get 30. A Saints game is going to, they're going to put between 26 and 33 up every week. Yeah, yeah. But this is not a defense that's about to march out for the next, you know, seven weeks and force three points per game. You know what I mean? Like this is still a defense that has shown us who they are before giving up big plays, creating offenses for other offenses and things like that. So, so you want to see essentially them hit a midpoint between what they displayed Sunday night against the, the Tampa Bay Bucks and then what they've been doing early on in the season. And we've seen this before, like every one of these seasons, 2017, 18, 19, you can look at first half of the season, Saints defense, second half of the season, Saints defense. And the second half of the Saints defense has always been has improved upon the first half. It's not necessarily that it's been fantastic. There have been a couple of years where it has been fantastic, but certainly it's it's up there. You look at the Saints EPA, so earned uh, earned points added, so that essentially gives you points per play for the Saints defense. The Saints defense has created points for the other for opposing teams in the first four games at a rate that like puts them 27th, 28th, 29th in the NFL when you look at total drop back and run. In the last four games, they're up five, top five, top six uh, in, in terms of their in terms of their defense. So now you're going to see them maybe balance out a little bit. And if they can hit middle of the pack across every one of those categories, especially in the passing game, that's a good place for this defense to be. It's a great place for this defense to be because we've always talked about the Saints defense just needs to be middle of the road for Drew Brees to win games and for the Saints offense and for Sean Payton. Just not give up the big plays. Essentially, that's what it is for this defense. It's If they don't give up the big plays, we see they don't give up a ton of yardage. The penalties have been curtailed. Mm-hmm. It's 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 coming down to the big plays on and, and on a week to week basis. They didn't have any against Tampa. Tampa couldn't even. I mean, what the the rushing was the worst in the modern NFL. Yeah, the worst in NFL history. Five carries. That was the least. So, <laughs> like that's that's not normal. Like right. that is just not normal. You can't ever expect to see that again. But yeah, as long as they're not giving up the big play, as long as they're not allowing teams to go on eight, ten play drives, yeah, they'll be more than respectable. They yeah. don't have to be top five, but yeah, be top thirteen, be in that area, and you're golden. Um, for the most part, there aren't many teams that are going to give you that kind of problem, particularly because the Saints can make teams one-dimensional. They have that ability. And if right. the pass rush is going when they when they shut down the run, then the Saints are as good as anybody. As good as anybody. And that's the thing, too. Like, you have to look at this. So, dude, I'll use a radio analogy for the people that are listening. You know, what we just saw from the Saints on Sunday was the listener peak. And what usually happens when you gain new listeners on a podcast, on a radio show, anything like that, you see this big peak 
And then you see it kind of fall off because some of those people stay, some of those people don't. And then you see that kind of fall off, but the new plateau is better than the way you started. And so it's this like peak and then it drops down just a little bit, but it's not equal, right? The rise isn't equal to the drop off. And so I think that's what you're going to see for the Saints here. This was the big rise for the Saints defense. You'll see it drop off a little bit over these next couple of games. And by that, I could simply mean they give up 14 points, 17 points here and there as opposed to three, but it's still better than what you saw for the first seven, you know, six, seven games of the season. And so now we move and focus on the 49ers and it couldn't be a better follow-up opponent now. Again, before the season, we would have said, this is terrible (laughs) back-to-back. But now you look at it, and the 49ers, unfortunately, are decimated by COVID and injuries. They, and you know, it just, at four and five, their season could be over this weekend based on the rest of their, their division and the way that NFC is going. They're going to be desperate. They're not going to embarrass themselves, but... It, it doesn't – I mean, I, this is a double-digit win for the Saints. It should be. Should be. Yeah, absolutely. And now, now, one of the things we have to talk about is that you get a big win like this mm-hmm. against Tampa Bay. How do you follow it up, right? Do you buy into the hype of becoming the new NFC number one seed, the new top of the NFC South? You just knocked off a divisional opponent that's also one of the better teams in the NFL. Do you buy into that hype? Or do you maintain the discipline and composure to go out there and, and, and sustain that type of performance, right? At whatever the new level is going to be. So that's going to be Sean Payton's big job and the coaching staff's big job this, this year. And of course this week, and, and of course, like it comes down to the players as well, but I'm going to put this one on coaching because coaching mm-hmm. has to set the tone that you can't. And this is something you, um, um, Sean Payton has talked about several times is you can't, you can't eat the cheese, right? You can't buy into the, your own hype. And all, and so I think those are going to be a lot of the messages you're going to see from the coaching staff this week to the players. Don't buy into your own hype. Don't eat the cheese. Like we still have a lot of work to do. And I think that's the right message. The right message is to treat this victory, this 38 to three victory, like it was a seven to three victory or like a 38 to 35 victory or a 38 to three loss. If you have to, you know what I mean? It's like when we talk about in the NBA to where you have a team that is ahead in their series three to one, but they're playing like they're down one to three. That's the mentality that the saints have to have over really these next five games. Cause all five of these next games are winnable in terms of the team matchup. There's things that complicate it. You know, they have two divisional games, which you never know which way those are really going to go. One of them is right in the middle of a three-game road trip. They have to travel to Philly at the end of a three-game road trip, which is typically unfriendly to the traveling team in terms of on that third game of a three-game road trip. So there's elements of it that, uh, that add complication to it. But in terms of the team-to-team matchup, these are all winnable games for the Saints. And none of them really more out class than than they are like unbalanced as this upcoming matchup with the San Francisco 49ers. It's at home. You're potentially going to see 6,000 fans there, I believe, because I don't believe that there has been any, any issues. No problem reported. so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since the 3000 game. So they talked about elevating that to 6,000. You're going to have that at home. You know that next week you've got uh, Atlanta also at home with 6,000 fans again. And then again, you have the advantage of essentially playing against a B team that the 49ers bring. Now, Nick Mullins can still run this offense, can still run Kyle Shanahan's offense. Richard Sherman is expected to be back. Uh, the, the 49ers can run. It doesn't matter if they're using a practice squad running back. They will run the ball and they can do it. Brandon Ayuk is a big-time playmaker, uh, the rookie out of Arizona State. There's still a lot of factors to this game that the Saints defense will be challenged by, but this is an opportunity for them to flex a muscle. This and, is, or, or, yeah. And I think another part of that 
to help with the coaching staff and keeping this focused is that Quan Alexander's back and right. this is his team, you know, his former team. Yep. There's an urgency for him. You yep. know what I mean? Like, yep. I don't think it, he left on bad terms. I don't think it's like that, but you know how it goes. First time back. Okay. Guys. And, and I think that's how you get the locker room to refocus and say, Oh, it's yes. for Quan. It's for yep. Quan. This is his first day. We got to win for Quan. And I think that, you know, guys like, who do need that motivation sometimes from week to week. They do need something extra at times. And I think Alvin Kamara can be one of those guys that mm-hmm. looks for something to, to fight against and say, okay, yeah, great. We're going to do this for Quan. Let's have some fun. Yeah, I, that's I, mean? a, I think that's a fantastic point because you're right. That focuses everybody around a single goal, right? It's not just about going out there and like winning a football game. It's about doing it for somebody, right? It's about the team mentality, the morale, all of that. I think that's an excellent point. And I'm, I'm excited to see Quan Alexander because we're already seeing examples where he could step in and open up some opportunities for the Saints defense. We talked about that um that that the overthrow on fourth and six, fourth and seven to Rob Gronkowski, to where you know Demario Davis was trying to carry Rob Gronkowski up the seam. It's not that Demario Davis can't do that, but maybe Quan Alexander is better fit to do that. While while Demario Davis does some of the other things that he does very well, problem in the middle of the field, blitzing the quarterback, playing at the line of scrimmage, those are all things that right now it feels like Demario Davis is being asked to do more things that he was asked to do last season, mm-hmm. playing in the middle of the defense here as opposed to playing on the weak side last year. I'll be curious to see how those roles. Uh, adjust with Quan Alexander coming in. Of course, Quan is competing with Alex Anzalone to play at the weak side, but maybe he just gets some additional responsibilities that they can't, that they don't feel comfortable putting on Alex Anzalone at this time. Yeah. And, and maybe it's obvious, um, you know, passing downs, maybe it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and again, we know Quan is a hitter. So yep. um, San Francisco is going to be doing a lot of, you know, multi tight end sets to keep running. They, they, they do a lot of shifting. They do a lot of, one cut plays um it's so yeah they're going to need the linebackers to play well you can't allow them to get third level um Mm because San Francisco has backs that can run away from you they're not just strong they're agile and they can run away from you yeah and San Francisco loves to attack in the passing game they, they love to attack the middle of the field that was a huge huge factor in the 48 to 46 loss last year was how much the Saints gave up over the middle of the field because they were down like every starting linebacker that they had essentially in that game now it's you know it's a little bit healthier obviously we'll see what they're with the uh, injury report looks like over the course of this week uh, Quan Alexander is coming back off of a week five high ankle sprain, but he was healthy enough to be traded, which usually means that he was already cleared to play. So there's a lot to, to consider there about how he maybe fits in. And, you know, there's also the other very interesting side of this too, is what happens with Kiko Alonso over on the San Francisco uh, uh, defense too. You know, I, I don't think he sees a lot of snaps because, you know, they've got Dre Greenlaw, they've got really Fred Warner, they've got very solid uh, linebackers there. And Kiko plays a brand of linebacker that doesn't really fit their their base or excuse me their nickel defense that they run a lot so he would only be in on base snaps which the 49ers play just about as rarely as the saints so it'd be interesting to see that but yeah i think that the quan alexander topic of this week is one that we should focus on big time leading into this game because he can have an immediate impact for the saints i'm not saying he's going to be revolutionary to the saints defense he's not going to solve all the problems but he can have a key impact and then, of course, we know Sean Payton and Kyle Shanahan's history. They they enjoy going up against each other. Yeah. You know, I thought that last year it almost cost the Saints because I thought Sean Payton at times tried to do things intentionally to show Kyle Shanahan something. Yeah. And he didn't have to. Um, <laughs> so that was some bad Sean Payton during that game at times. Um, but they do – these two guys do like the scheme against each other. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're they're a fun matchup to watch. It's like it, you know, it, it, there's a lot of that in the NFC for Sean Payton. I mean, Doug Peterson with Philly, Mike Zimmer with uh, with uh, Minnesota, and McVay. Then you've got, of course, yes, McVay with LA. Uh, so you know, I think this is going to be a, a very fun game to watch. And I think that the key coaching matchup you're really going to be watching here is Dennis Allen versus Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. Can Dennis Allen keep? and maintain a game plan that rely, you know, that, that allows the saints defense to maintain discipline and capitalize simply off of execution, which is really what we saw happen in Tampa on Sunday night. Yeah. Against Tampa was that it was the execution of the game plan put the saints in position or the Saints defense in position to vastly improve and outperform in that game. And I think you have to see the communication was great. Their cover three matches their the things that they've done in terms of rotating, uh, passing, you know, uh, receivers from one zone to another, all things we talked about before, uh, before the Tampa game in terms of what it was that the saints needed to improve upon. All it's going to be great yards after catch can be another very big factor in this game, just like yep. it was uh, against Tampa, which the saints did a very good job at limiting that uh, last week. And so, you know, it's really just about carrying the momentum forward from last week into this week against San Francisco, but obviously you have a big time, you know, going up against Byron Leftwich as a play caller, very different than going up against Kyle Shanahan as a play caller, regardless of who's on the field for them. Yeah, I think, you know, Leftwich, you have to change so much too when you have Tom Brady. You have to do things that are just an adjustment that you might not make with a Mullins who can, you know, it's not the greatest throw in the world, but I don't see this huge drop off from Garoppolo to him ever. When he comes in, he plays – as I mean, it's not like there's a, I don't, if you put Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers and put those two together, it's, I, I think they were the same guy almost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they have a good system of quarterbacks, just like they have a good system of running backs that are scheme driven, that can, that can execute the scheme. They can execute the game plan. It's not, you know, for them, it wasn't about Jimmy Garoppolo being, you know, the, having the biggest arm or being somebody that's going to be, you know, Patrick Mahomes level in production who can create things. They just needed a smart quarterback who could understand the system. Nick Mullins is that as well. And who could execute it out on the field. There's, you know, there's obviously like anytime you go from a starting quarterback to a backup quarterback, there's things you can take advantage of. Right. But the drop off in terms of this offense with the ability to run itself with Mm -hmm. an intelligent quarterback under center, that's all that they need. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this uh, stretch because now this is when you do get the opportunity to separate yourself. Like you said, yeah. these next few games, this is you want to be able to go into um, December and feel like we know who we are. And right. this is that time to establish that because you get to build some consistency of yeah. effort. And, and that's the thing that we talked about from week one is are they going to get four quarters of solid football? Um, they didn't have to do four quarters of solid football in this game. You know, they got to change it a little bit. Right. Um, but it was so dominant for the first three quarters right. did everything that you needed to do um, that you got to coast and still get an A A plus. So, right. I mean, so I like seeing that it yeah. is going, like you said, it is going to come down to earth somewhat, but we know the ceiling for this team defensively is a lot higher than what we've seen before. And this is a very encouraging sign. Yeah. Yeah. And again, as we mentioned before, it, it all starts at the defensive line for this defense. If this defensive line can stay healthy and continue doing, you know, we, we expect to see Sheldon Rankins back at some point this season. I mean, as gruesome as his injury was, the guy avoided major injury. Somehow or another, the yoga, the yoga Friday that the Saints do has been paying off. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I think you look at, you know, this, this defensive line 
if they can maintain the production that they have over these last couple of games, which I think they can, then you add Sheldon Rankins back to that. It's much the same effect that we talked about with Michael Thomas. When Michael Thomas was out, if the Saints could maintain a certain level of, of sustainable offense, and then you add Michael Thomas back to that, makes it, the offense more dangerous. Same thing when it comes to the defensive line and Sheldon Rankins. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them. It makes make, all of them more dangerous. It makes Trey yeah. Hendrickson more dangerous. It makes, yeah. um, you know, makes Cam Jordan more dangerous because you can't, if, when Sheldon Rankins collapsed in the pocket, it's right. It's and, just different. And, and Sheldon Rankins calls his own stunts. Like, that's the other part of this too, is that like Sheldon Rankins is a genius on that football field in terms of being the leader of that defensive line. And so that's what you're injecting back into this offense, or, excuse me, back into this defense once you get him back. And you, you, you cannot substitute those things. Mm-mm. That's why fans have, are so, you know, enamored with him. And same reason with Marcus Davenport. They're just things that they do that you don't find on the street. You can't right. just grab another person to do those things. And so, yeah, when you have those really unique, talented players, the Saints defensive line is as good as there is in the NFL. They, they Absolutely. just are. And it comes down to when they generate, we keep saying it's not the sacks, it's the pressures. It's the hits on the right. quarterback. They accumulate and it makes that secondary so much better. It makes Malcolm Jenkins so much mm-hmm. better when that ball is coming out faster because of pressure. Yep. Then if the quarterback's got time and he's got to keep up with a receiver, you don't want him in space forever. It just doesn't work that way. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just, it's amazing how when that comes together, this, this team is completely different. Yep. I'm excited. I know you're excited. You've got a lot more this week to do a lot of film to watch a lot of, mm-hmm. things, you know, things to study and matchups. Um, again, as we do each week, I just give you that opportunity to, to tell people what they can look forward to. Absolutely, man. No, I appreciate that. Uh, Of course, you can check out the show Locked on Saints every Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcast or your preferred podcast provider is. We're there. Um, Just did a uh, Film Watch Wednesday today, as well as Mailbag Questions. Uh, Film Watch Wednesday is becoming one of my favorite days of the week on the show because we take three of the most impactful plays in the game and break them down. I usually try to add in, you know, two Saints plays and then one good play by the opposing team very little to choose from uh, for Tampa Bay this week. So I just went with the Saints first three touchdowns and breaking them down because they were all textbook in very different ways. So take a look at that. Uh, and you can take a listen to that and follow along with game passes the way that I try to do that. And then uh, we've also got our crossover coming up tomorrow with Brian Peacock, who hosts locked on 49ers. So we'll start to look ahead to that and we'll do another film breakdown of the 49ers over these last couple of weeks heading into the Saints matchup on Friday. Uh, you can catch the write-ups over at uh, Canal Street Chronicles, uh, dot com, And then, of course, you know, Locked on NFL on uh, Tuesday. We did this uh, great sort of breakdown to where we, we sort of – we did it like a locket or mock it, essentially, of the uh, playoff teams, <laughs> which ones we believe that are in the picture right now might be there. I'm excited about the Miami Dolphins, man. So we did a really I am too. I think Brian there. Flores – over the last two seasons has done such a phenomenal job of making that team sound. And that was the first step is they're sound. They don't kill themselves. They don't have the most talent in the world yet. They will get very, very talented very quickly, but he is a teacher and he's, he's got that team um, in in position where you don't want to play them. Yeah, he's absolutely incredible. And um, he's been so much fun to watch that, like, if Miami makes the playoffs, he becomes my leading coach of the year candidate. Mike Tomlin was the hill I was ready to die on early. Um, and he's been great, no, you're wrong. But what Brian Flores has done, especially with that defense, oh, 
outstanding, outstanding work. So all those types of breakdowns, national coverage, unlocked on NFL. And then of course uh, you can catch me every Wednesday right here with my boy, David Grubb here on uh, the Dome Patrol at Hard and Paint. So thank you again. I, you know, this is always a highlight of my week, man. And, Same, man. And, um, I just love the recaps and I love what we get to talk about. And um, I love giving it to the audience because their response is always fantastic. Yeah, um, it's always we fun. We appreciate that. Yeah, big time. We really do. Um, so until next Wednesday, uh, this is the Dome Patrol for Ross Jackson. I am David Grubb, and uh, I'll talk to you all soon. All right.